You are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610AM and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting either of SoundCloud.com and iTunes under podcasts as per Mediation Station. We have a Twitter account and it's called at Fenton Mediation. So make sure to follow us. For more information, you can contact me at either 647-227-4734 or greggf at primus.ca. And so we're going to talk about more about the Crossover Youth Project with Justice Brian Scully and Professor Judy Finley. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Brian, you've been here before. I appreciate it. You were here initially, I believe, was September 2016, and you introduced us to what's called the Crossover Youth Project. Before we get into the, the meat of that, can you share some information about your professional background? Certainly. Thanks, Greg. Um, I practiced, uh, practiced criminal, family, and child welfare law for a period of, uh, well, certainly in excess of 25 years. I think it was about 29 years before I was... Uh, appointed to the bench. Um, during my practice, I developed a focus on children and youth. Um, so in criminal, I focused on representing young people uh, under then what was initially the Juvenile Delinquents Act, then the, uh, uh, the uh, YOA, the Young Offenders Act, and then now under the, uh, uh, and in fact was appointed just shortly after the Youth Criminal Justice Act came into effect. Uh, but I also represented children and youth uh, for what was originally the official guardian and now the officer, the children's lawyer. So that was my focus. Uh, I find myself at 311 Jarvis Street where we uh, sit in all three of those jurisdictions and so I'm very, very happy to be there. Thanks. How about you, Judy? Uh, I think I worked in the field of children's mental health for probably over 30 years in different capacities. I'm a social worker, have both graduate degrees in social work. I'm presently a professor, have been for a decade at Ryerson University in the School of Child and Youth Care, which is a school around practice with uh, children and youth. Prior to that, I was the provincial child advocate for, for Ontario for 16 years. Um, that's kind of my background in a nutshell. So the two of you have an extensive background working with people going through different kinds of lived experiences, especially some kind of conflict of some form. One of you works within, quote, the justice system, and one of you works outside in the community system, we call it that. So what does it mean to each of you to do the type of work you do with people? Okay. Um, well, I, I, I feel very privileged to be able to do it. Um, I think that working with vulnerable individuals and people who uh, are in a, a moment of crisis or in a period of crisis in their life, uh, trying to be of some assistance to them and uh, make uh, perhaps the pain or the trauma a little less uh, severe is, is something that uh, I certainly uh, have always appreciated when I was in practice and uh, as a judge. 
uh, it's we're limited. You'll know, Greg, that the law is a bit of a blunt instrument, and so uh, in certain respects, uh, I am limited, very much limited in what I can do. But uh, certainly within the parameters of uh, sentencing uh, and within the parameters of case management for in child welfare or domestic law, I try to facilitate and help people come to a better place. So you, you talked to about limited because you do have, quote, rules, yes. laws that say this is what's supposed to be when this is kind of the situation. So you have to use your authority to make decisions based on that context. Yes. Though, you know, a lot of people come into the system and many times they have their point of view and the other person has their point of view. And then you as the third party are up there and you have to find some way to, I don't know, be fair, try and find some equitable outcome. Well, hopefully. That's, uh, we, we certainly try to be fair and we try to be equitable. Um, it, uh, we're not mediators. Uh, we are judges. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly we recognize that limitation. And so we have a mediation service, as you know, at 311 Jarvis Street yeah. that uh, you're part of. And it's very helpful to us. And we do encourage people to engage in mediation uh, in terms of resolving uh, their matters. And for young people who are in crisis in mental health issues or Aboriginal uh, youth or uh, just in the criminal justice system, we try and find them uh, some counseling or some direction if they if they need it. There'll be you know people have to take some kind of ownership for the decisions that they're making because once they rest it with the third party, you in this situation, and your colleagues as judges, then there's no latitude per se. That's right. They have that discretion though when they retain that ownership of decision making. Yeah. So what does it mean to you in terms of Judy? Um, in terms of the work I do yeah. and, and how meaningful that is to me, um, like I said, I've been working in the field for quite some time and always with children, youth, and families. Um, and it, it's interesting because I work at different levels, um, which I appreciate. So I work at the case level or the most micro level and directly with uh, children and youth or, or with families in a, in a clinical context. And then I work at a program level as well, where I would, for example, mediate between children and youth and the system, um, because the system's not always youth-friendly. And then I work at the, at the broadest level, at a, at a policy level, um, in terms of making sure that the kinds of change that need to happen does happen. But each one builds on the other, so I um, when we when we look at policy change, for example, that always has to be informed by young people or their families. So a lot of, like you were describing with Brian, a lot of the work we do is, I don't know if you would call it mediative. I see myself as more as brokering, and so brokering between young people and systems or young people and, and care providers or young people and families. Um, because I, I find in what I what I've learned a lot about is that um, ch children and youth have their own agency and have their own capacity to, to speak out. They generally know exactly what's good for them. And, and so to sort of think that you can represent them or you can, you can be their voice is, is fundamentally wrong. It's for trying not even to elevate their voice, but, but um, 
really um, allow them to, to have their own voice, not even allow them to speak on their own. So we always say, don't speak about us without us. And so that's sort of the philosophy or principle that, that I, I sort of, I live by. And so, so um, I don't know, I don't know, Greg, if mediation is the right word in terms of how we would move forward with, uh, with, with the different levels of, of intervention with young people. But uh, certainly, um, certainly we have to allow them to sort of use their own power and their own voice and, and give them the opportunity to participate in every single way they can. So, so I've learned that along the way. I've, I've learned that you, if, you, if you're really dedicated to the work of, with, with young people, then you have to be dedicated at different levels, not just on a one-on-one. -on -one. Especially when you're dealing with youth or children that you know as adults you're the quote seen as the authority figure and the one that they are supposed to look up to and as you talked about you're you know from a policy level people are usually coming top down and it's imposed and then the youth are feeling like oh my god I gotta do this or not do that and so the acknowledgement I would say that youth can feel not only feel, then they also have to have the reality that they can have their own voice. I think that's fundamental for them to feel they can participate, be, they can be an active member of society. We actually have a caller. He's uh, hanging on there. He's on hold. So he uh, has a background familiar with uh, us here. So I'm going to put him on to engage us in the conversation. Hi there. Good evening. Hi. Yeah. What can we do for you? Because I was checking out the website uh, in sort of anticipation of tonight's show, and I was just curious to know and would ask, um, what was the sort of the criteria, the guidelines, how you um, chose the four um, urban centers that you did? Downtown Toronto kind of makes perfect sense and absolutely a gateway to the north in, in Thunder Bay, but I'm, I'm sort of curious as to why Belleville versus Kingston or why Chatham versus... Windsor or Sarnia. So that's it. So just how did you settle on those four um, on those four pilot uh, um, towns, please? So we we picked those four sites um, uh, on purpose. Uh, we gave it a lot of thought. Oh, uh, yeah. Three Eleven Jarvis for sure. It's uh, our that project um, that part of the project that site is uh, court centric. So the work we're doing with Crossover Youth is is in the context of the court. In Thunder Bay, you, you nailed it when you said that um, we're, we're working with largely First Nations youth because in, in the youth justice system in, in that particular area, 99% of the young people in youth justice are Indigenous. And so uh, we absolutely are in Thunder Bay for that reason. And the young people that are incarcerated in, in, in Thunder Bay are from the far, far north, the small communities in the far north. So that's why we're in Thunder Bay. We're in Belleville because we know and we understand that when young people, uh, particularly uh, young people from child welfare care, when they're in group care, that's often where they get their very first charge and while in group care for their behavior in group care. Um, so it's reaction to uh, kids who are behaving in a particular way in, in group care. Um, and so they're often charged uh, for, for um, for this behavior, whether it's it's 
acting out in the group home with their peers or or uh, swearing at a staff, whatever, they are often charged. And so Belleville, in the Belleville area, there is many, 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 many group homes, so that's why we're there. Many interesting things have come up from that. I'll, we will might talk about that later. We actually had chosen Chatham uh, originally for the western region. We're trying to hit every region of the province. And um, when we went to Chatham, when we spoke to the judges in the court, they said they they didn't have many crossover youth. They didn't have many kids in child welfare that found their way into the youth justice system. That's our definition of crossover youth. And so we we went to, to Brantford. We went to Brantford because when we first started in Toronto, and we're, we're sort of gradually moving from one site to another, when we were first starting, our first site was in Toronto, other programs or other communities decided to start their own project in their own community, um, and we were consultative to them, but they weren't our sites. And quite frankly, Branford did that. They, they, we were out a number of times doing workshops and panels and seminars with the community there, the uh, justice and, and social service community there. And so they were beginning to start their own project. And given we weren't going to Chatham, we, s we decided to really invest resources in, in Branford. Okay, and Branford, so as you know, has an indigenous population too. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Thanks very much for calling in. and. Uh, asking your questions. So we're going to get in, in deeper into the conversation now. Outstanding. Thanks again. All right. Bye-bye. So how did the two of you, because you come from different streams, judicial, academic, community-based, how did you connect to have that conversation to create this initiative? Well, uh, I certainly knew and respected immensely the work that Judy had done when she was uh, the ad advocate for the province. Um, and uh, certainly lawyers that were working with youth benefited very much from the work that she was doing. So I guess we go to January, of, I think it's 2013, Greg, and uh, we were putting a conference together, uh, one of our family child welfare conferences, and uh, we had started uh, informally trying to identify at 311 Jarvis Street, the court where I'm at, uh, young people who were enmeshed in the two systems, the child welfare system and the youth justice system, and so in a conversation uh, some of the judges uh, and I had, we thought, well, it would be wonderful to invite <laughs> Judy to come and address us uh, because she had done uh, some landmark work in, uh, in uh, the study of crossover youth. She came to the conference. Um, we were all extremely moved. I was moved to the point that uh, moments after uh, she was on my panel, I went to her and I said, well, Judy, if you ever really want to take another uh, shot at this one and see if we can really do something uh, for these young people. I'll put my hand up. And a couple of days later, she phoned me and said, okay, let's do it. Uh, and uh, so she suggested that we would co-chair a, a provincial steering committee and invite people to come from all the different sectors that uh, intersect and cross with the young people in those, in those two systems. And uh, we were incredibly gratified by the number of people that responded. I've got to say, I think that that, in large measure, is tribute to Judy and uh, and her reputation and integrity within that system. That they came out and uh, were prepared to commit, and they have. They've done a. It, we we've been really very very much supported by our committee and by those that have worked with us uh, in this project. I mean, you you both know that you work in front line in different ways. That the reality is that there is such a need for this kind of situation where youth are 
get up uh, caught up in child welfare and also criminality of some form and then they could be better served in being navigated in a, a different pathway than quote into a punitive type of approach and so yeah you, you went forward and you went out in the community and you canvassed to get the validity in some form I guess the scientific research data to validate your frontline knowledge experiences we did that. Um, I have to say, when I was the child advocate, and I was for a long time, um, I think what I believed were, were the most vulnerable kids were these kids, were these crossover youth. And so of all the young people, and I only we only sort of uh, came in contact with really vulnerable kids. And so um, I brought that file with me to Ryerson, and I was determined that we were, we were going to shift the landscape in terms of these young people. I don't know what people understand, but almost 50% of all young people in the youth justice system are from child welfare. So child welfare kids are kids in the care of the state. They're our kids. They're, they're, we're responsible. They're community kids. They're, they're, we're, we have a special responsibility to those kids. And yet half the kids in youth justice are from child welfare. Um, and those are exactly the kids that do not do well in, in, in youth justice. So that, that, that to me was uh, uh, fundamentally wrong. And so I, I chose to bring it, this, this file, if you want to call it that, with me to Ryerson. And so I was delighted when, uh, when Brian uh, joined, uh, joined with me and, and we moved the project forward. And yes, the first year uh, when we were having conversations about uh, crossover youth, um, and we had people around the table. We were pretty determined that we all understood what the situation was, what the problem was. So I went th through, I went to all of the service sectors, uh, and I had a research assistant help me. Went to all of the service sectors throughout the province. I talked to judges and probation officers and justice of the peace and lawyers and child welfare workers and group care providers and mental health workers and education and youth themselves and advocates and, and asked them what should change, what needs to change. We know there's a problem, but what do we need to do to make a change? And so based on that information, we were able to move forward as a committee. So how would you define the purpose of the, the whole initiative? I think for me, the purpose is to make sure that kids in the care of the state do not gravitate to the youth justice system. That's the first priority. If they end up there, then how can we quickly and effectively move them out? Uh, and, and move them uh, into the kind of services that they deserve. They don't, justice services, um, they don't benefit in the same way from justice services as they would from uh, clinical, therapeutic, or social services. So they, we, need, we need to move them to where they can get the best care and the best service. And youth justice is not that. And you used the word earlier at some other point to talk about how the system reacts to how youth are. If they have issues in group homes, it's a reactionary so I'm seeing this more as a response, where you take a pause and you reflect and you organize purposely how best to assist to redirect the youth who get caught up within these two streams of life. Something like that? Yes, exactly like that. Yeah, for sure. Anything you want to say? I, yeah. would, I would, Greg. I, I think that what the, the core to understand these young people 
is to recognize that uh, they have suffered, all of them have suffered trauma uh, as children. And uh, through no fault of their own, they, they, have, uh, they have this, they have issues uh, of, of anger or psychological issues. Uh, and when they act out uh, and uh, from their trauma, when they're in a group home setting, they're, they far too often are charged for behavior that, of course, other young people within a family constellation might uh, represent or do, but they'd never be charged within a family, but in a group home they are. And so one of the real focuses and, and one of the things that we have been able to do, I think successfully, is have people understand and look at these young people uh, from a trauma-informed lens and to understand that. I understand the project is initially for four years funded. Is that correct? Yes. Federally? Yes. Mostly? Yes. And, you know, I, I would envision, hope that somehow this could become part, a core, and, a, a, you know, a legacy to continue forward. So how has the project developed over the course and evolved over the first, it's been, what, two years at least? Three. Three years? So how has it evolved over the period of up to date? Um, like I said, we started at 311 Jarvis uh, in the courthouse, and uh, interestingly, uh, we were supposed to do one year there and then move on to Belleville, then move on to Thunder Bay, and then move on to Brantford. So kind of one site a year, and it absolutely did not happen that way at all, <laughs> not like we anticipated. When we were in at 311 Jarvis, we had a case conference coordinator and a resource coordinator working within the, the courthouse with the young people, with all of the various players uh, with that were in sort of in the corner with the young people. And it was so difficult to get the different service sectors to actually work together on behalf of young people. And so we were rolling to the end of the first year, and we didn't feel very successful, to tell you the truth. So I approached the, our funders, the uh, Youth Justice Canada, and uh, they offered us another year of funding. And so it's taken us two years of really, really hard slugging in terms of pulling people together. So we've just ended at uh, 311 Jarvis. Um, and because, uh, like the caller indicated, because of the issues related to Indigenous youth in, in, the, in the north, in the far north, um, the Ministry of Child and Youth Services wanted us to start there right away. So we simultaneously have been working in, in Thunder Bay with the Crossover Youth Pilot Project there, and we have been working there since the onset. And then we moved to Belleville, where we're working very closely with the Belleville community and the police in particular and group care in particular and the courts. Um, and we've just now, just now, started in Brantford and, and we're working closely uh, in Brantford. And what we learned, um, uh, what we learned, we should have, I think we should have known at the beginning, but we didn't. Um, what we've learned, we've always wanted to be totally community-based and communities to, de to develop their own culture, their own sense of, of uh, structure and, and programming um, for, for the Crossover Youth pro Project and their, their site. Um, and so what we've done, what we've decided to do is we've divested. So we've divested to uh, Thunder Bay, so they have their own steering committee, they have their own coordinator, they have their, they have their own uh, activities, they have their own goals, they have their own principles. They're moving forward in, in, a, in a 
an appropriate way culturally for Thunder Bay. Belleville, the same thing, we've just divested there. And Brantford, the same thing, we've just divested there. And so each community is making their own determination about who comes to the table, what the service will look like, um, how, are they doing casework, are they doing systemic work, are they doing mediation. Uh, so each community is, is, is taking, taking uh, the initiative themselves and it's working out re much, much better than having it centralized in Toronto, absolutely or attached necessarily to the justice system. Yes, it it, it every co every community in some way is attached to the justice system so they each have their own mm -hmm. committee, their community-based committee and generally there's two uh, co-chairs and one co-chair is is a judge in each of the other sites as well by choice of the community and then there's a social service kind of uh, person as the other chair but in uh, Belleville for example um, it's the John Howard Society that has taken it on in Brantford it's the it's St. Leonard's that have taken it on and in Thunder Bay it's the uh, WW Creighton Center which is the Youth Justice Center in Thunder Bay so it's really placed in in a community agency right so it's you know that's what I wanted to help clarify for the benefit of the listener community based relative to justice based or the systems based that it's in the community absolutely and the you know the power for me with community based is self determination absolutely where each community can identify for itself what its needs their interests their concerns are their realities yes. and then create programs or initiatives that can best support that community yes and those kids and those kids absolutely we have certain criteria that that we want our we want the communities to follow um, for example um, as Justice Scully was saying um, they we expect that they look at the young people from a trauma-informed lens we also want to make sure that they that each community is is cognizant of, of um, anti-oppressive policy um, and more than anything that the projects have to be youth-centered there has to be a youth advisory committee in each site which there is um, so that the youth are informing constantly the direction of the project so they're actively involved they're they comprise a key component absolutely. of the decision makers absolutely the people who give the feedback the input the the ideas the concepts and thus, thus it's a collaborative approach that the adults involved as well can work together with the youth Absolutely. so that the youth can feel that they not only have a voice though it's going to take it to the next step of implementation right right the <laughs> in some way that's been the, the without a doubt this has been our greatest challenge is getting communities getting organizations getting agencies to really respect the voice of young people yeah that's you know the system has its way of seeing life through its lens and it's more like you know, society has to adapt to the system, whereas if community base is where the system needs to adapt to society and take a, a paradigm shift in terms of how we try to address people's lived experiences in a more inclusive way. Mm -hmm. You know, inclusivity and diversity, and that's also cre key components or elements foundational to community development work. Absolutely. So what do you see as the impacts to date in some way? I think that we have realized uh, at uh, 311, as we, we wind our way down in that project, uh, we have realized uh, 
these, we've had success, as I've indicated, of having people look at these young people from a trauma-informed lens. I think it's changed the culture of uh, some of the lawyers and the uh, social workers and uh, that work within the systems, uh, that they are really starting to focus on that and understand the vulnerability of these young people. I think uh, we've been very clear that, again, the voice of youth and the lived experience of these youth must be listened to. Uh, because they have a, a sense of what is really perhaps going to work for them. And rather than adults sitting in a room and trying to decide what's best for the youth, actually listening to the youth and uh, understanding what they need to be successful, I think that we are starting to realize that change. It's slow. Um, I, I, any systems change, of course, is moves at glacier speed. Uh, but we are seeing a change, and we're really encouraged by that. I would like to touch on also, Greg, that in, in terms of having uh, four different sites and four, four different distinct cultures of community, mm -hmm. um, it is our hope, and I know I think the, those who fund us, that taking those diverse communities and cultures and, and getting best protocols from each of those areas will allow for uh, the project and the concept of the project then to be taken across the country, and that's really what our hope is. And that's why somewhat is a pilot project of some form, though it's exactly. adapted to the different communities as best practices in some form. Yeah. Yes, and interestingly, as I go from site to site to site uh, over the last number of years, I ask, so what seems to be working? What have we gained through this project in your, in your community? And what every single site says is we're now collaborating, that we didn't have that opportunity before, and now we're, we know what each other's role is, and we're having a, a deeper understanding of that, and we're, we're developing uh, close alliances professionally with, with the other people in the other fields. So, as you know before, um, all of these services were siloed were siloed quite separately. So police didn't talk to children's aid, children's aid mm -hmm. didn't talk to education, education never talked to Crown. CAS has had no understanding of what it was like to be in a courthouse. So that's from what I'm hearing from each of the communities is that has been the most dramatic impact of this project. And if we do nothing else but that, I would be quite happy. And they, you know, people of these different groups and organizations, entities, go into the front lines and they can see they can also feel the energy in the room of how people, the youth, are affected are, and are being affected by the circumstances in which they have no control. Mm -hmm. It's downloaded onto them. Right. It's imposed. Right. And so, you know, I, I think it's important, and, you know, you talked about, Brian, glacial change, you know, because that's how the system and society in general might be. Though, you know, if we start to look at people as humans, including youth, and engage compassion and empathy as part of connecting with the lived experiences, we don't have to walk in the same experience, but we can have a way to appreciate that what they're going through is fundamental and it's happening. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So what have you experienced as unexpected? Good one. With the regard to the project, the initiative. I think um, I've worked all over the province, as you know, and so I thought I had a pretty good understanding of, of what was going on in the province. But what we found out is in Belleville, where the group homes are, 
those young people are coming from Thunder Bay. Those are indigenous young people where there isn't services in Thunder Bay, so they're being, they're being shipped to Belleville to be in group care in Belleville. It's not culturally appropriate. It, it doesn't make much sense. And so we have indigenous youth from the Thunder Bay area and farther north living in, in group care in, in, in Belleville. And what's the difference between that and residential schools? there is no difference. We're still shipping kids, indigenous kids, from the far north to the south to be cared for. And, and that is, again, fundamentally wrong. And so now, Thunder Bay, the site in Thunder Bay, is talking to the site in Belleville to look at, like I said earlier, not just change for the young people themselves, but change in terms of programming, but change in terms of, of policy. And so there's a huge advocacy component with this project, huge advocacy component, and we've, we've all come to understand that. And you don't want to just make change for the sake of change. No. You want it to be fundamental. Absolutely. So it's actually part of, quote, the system. The system is different construct than it currently is so that it's more inclusive and recognizes differences what it is, people being different from each other, exactly. not as a barrier, as an opportunity. So how, how have each of you been personally affected by going through together as a, with this project, this initiative? I, I certainly learned a great deal uh, from those who we worked with from uh, the social sciences. Um, it was not something that I studied at university, so I've I've learned a great deal. I think I am. I hope I'm a better person for uh, understanding um, the focus of trauma of the young people that are in front of us uh, and uh, and that we work with. Uh, it's also. Um, it's been inspiring to see literally life-altering change uh, for some of the people that have been involved in the system. And, um, and I, I think also gratifying to see that uh, those who are in positions of authority or power are prepared to uh, think about these young people in a different way and consider perhaps a different way of dealing with bail a different way of dealing with probation, uh, sensitive to the vulnerability of these young people. And, and we do see that, and that has been uh, really inspiring. Well, for me, uh, kind of the same kind of uh, impression, the same kind of impact on me, um, knowing that I believe these kids are the, the most vulnerable in the province, and and seeing the systems struggle, 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 really be challenged around change because it's it's difficult, change is challenging, and seeing, seeing different uh, people in the different service sectors really, really struggle, but, but still move forward, still put one foot in front of the other on behalf of these young people, and, and for me, that's quite inspiring. And these young people, more than anything else, I think it's these young people that have inspired me more than more than anyone else and given their histories and their their life and their lifestyles and and yet they 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 are going beyond surviving and they are challenging us and they're challenging us loud and clear in terms of what their needs are and what our responsibility are to them and 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 their needs so that to me, they're very inspiring as well. Yeah, and I, I've always had this issue with the word survivor anyways, mm -hmm. because it, for me, it just connotes a certain level of existence. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say that 
they they're working through these things and they're conquering them and they're excelling they're elevating themselves to another level you talked earlier a little bit about uh, the youth involvement they're actively consulted and active decision input decision makers anything else that they also are part of in terms of the project how do they get engaged in doing things uh, well, each site uh, is to have a youth engagement committee, and we have a youth engagement facilitator as well. Um, and so we try to engage the young people who are indeed the crossover youth, who we are directly working with. And so, um, and and what we've learned through the project, quite frankly, is the the most success that we've had with these young people has been through peer on peer sort of. Um, mediation or peer and on peer um, facilitation. So when a young person is talking to a young person who knows uh, of their lived experience yeah. because they've had that lived experience right. themselves, um, then, then they're more trusting, they're more open, they're more available to accept uh, uh, services or resources. And so that's been probably the most effective piece of the whole project. And we've just done that in Toronto, but we're looking to roll it out in the other sites as well. So at the case level, we, we do a peer-on-peer -peer mentoring, we call it that. Um, but then if at the more sort of programmatic and systems levels, we have the uh, advisory committees that are just starting across the province now. Um, and, and their role is to inform the steering committees and to inform each step of the way in terms of the project. The youth that we have engaged in the Toronto area, and certainly our youth facilitator, um, anything we anything we write, any protocol that we want to move forward, anything that we write to the government, any paper we write, any summary we write of, of the work we're doing in a site, uh, the young people read it, and the young people have input into it, and the young people dissect it and then we put it back together again. So they are to be informing us each step of the way. It has been challenging because these young people, because of their own histories, are quite challenged, and, you know, are challenging us all the time. And their level of trust of the system is very poor, as it should be, as it should be. Um, so it's, it's a matter of taking the time and, and the resources um, and the care um, to get to know these young people well uh, so that there can be a level of trust developed. So it's just not about the young people. It's about how do we interface, how do we collaborate, how do we partner with young people. And, and so that's been another piece of our learning and, and quite challenging for us as well. But every step of the way, we would like them to be involved in a meaningful way, not just participate, but participate in a meaningful way in the project. Yeah, so it's fundamental. 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 I think that word is like, it's there. It's part of the system. Whatever the system is, I mean, the justice system, the child welfare system, though it comes from a community-based concept and approach and application. I, I would even, I just had a thought, like, I would like you guys to come back again and I think maybe bring a couple of youth with you of course who could you know speak to their experience you know prior to getting involved what was life going on for them or not going on and from getting involved with the the work and the efforts the initiative you know what has it brought to them mm -hmm. that's an idea mm -hmm. um, 
you know, what do you find as the, that will be the next steps for the project going forward from this point? Because we've uh, just divested, um, we divested to Thunder Bay quite some time ago, but we've just divested to Belleville and Brantford. It's really supporting those communities over the next year to see how it unfolds. But from the front end, um, our agreement with each community is that we have to look for a sustainability model. So from the front end, we're always negotiating how do we move this forward past, past the time period that we're actually funded. And so I think that's going to be our biggest next step is how do we keep engaged. And uh, Peter, Peterborough uh, and Brampton um, and have started their own projects separate from, from us. We're just consultative too. So they are starting without resources or without funding, and they're doing quite well, actually. So we have some models already that we can lean on, um, but that, that is our next step to how do we sustain this uh, across the province and, like Brian said, move it across the country. What, do you, what would you like people to best take from the conversation today that we've had? Uh, I think to, to understand that, uh, again, we, we keep coming back to the focus, the trauma focus, and to, to try for the community, for those that are, uh, that, that are interested and committed to young people, to understand the, particularly vulner the particular vulnerability of these young people. It's, it's not uncommon, Greg, for a 15-year-old, for instance, to have been in maybe two foster homes and eight different group home uh, settings, maybe 10 different schools uh, from the time that they went into care as an infant uh, to the time they're 15. So when, when Judy talks about difficulties with trust, every time they uh, form a relationship with uh, an adult in their life, uh, it disappears. That person, that worker changes, the, they, they are moved from one home to another, uh, they don't have any sense that the normal reality of young people growing up, of, of forming a group of friends, uh, having the social structure of a basic school, none of it is there. And yeah, yeah, the bonding, the continuation of a bonding relationship. Yeah, and so for, uh, really, we, we, we always are hoping that people will understand and appreciate and focus on uh, the issues that these young people have so that uh, we, can, we can be motivated to find better outcomes for them. You know, and I think, too, that this can have broader implications for policy and revision to be more cognizant with the Youth, Justice, um, Youth Criminal Justice Act example and how youth are instead of such a punitive approach with youth who get caught up in some kind of criminality that the system defines as such when you do certain behaviors this is what the system says is uh, the definition for that and what we do f with you about that so maybe some kind of organic change I'm just throwing this these thoughts out I, I know you can't give concrete stuff but you know, it's all about planting seeds and seeing how they yeah. can germinate in some way at their time. Yes. Kids from uh, the child welfare system, like uh, Brian was saying earlier, all, all come from a background of trauma. So there's been some kind of trauma in their family, whether it's domestic violence or whether they were abused. Or the trauma of just leaving home is significant and then being moved and moved and moved and moved. And these are the, 
the very young people that don't do well in the justice system because of their fear of violence and so they go into a setting that's often violent so they're hyper vigilant and they act out with bravado and they accumulate charges because of that because of their traumatic history we also know that these are the very kids that also gravitate to the street and end up a lot of them end up being street kids and what we're learning through the project is not only just gravitating to the street but they're often engaged in human trafficking and so the these kids are what what we used to call our throwaway kids that we we couldn't touch them we couldn't reach them and that's just not the case that's just not the case we have to now redefine or or certainly redefine how we understand these young people and and redefine how we care for and embrace these young people yeah not lose the generations Absolutely. that have been lost so that everybody has an active role to play in, in the world to contribute so we got to close out thanks very much for thank you i can thank see you. the passion in both of you <laughs> Happy Happy Mother's Day again. <laughs> you guys want to do a quick shout out or? No. Uh, I'll shout out to my uh, dear spouse who hopefully is having a wonderful dinner prepared by our children. And I'll shout out to my family for, for having such a wonderful Mother's Day for me. All right. Thank you to both of you. So you've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610 AM, Voices Latinas.